how are you for time? What's your, what's your timeline? You got. Oh. Uh, Pre-open. Thanks, man. We're good. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, so in that case, I want to bring it back a little bit. Um, okay. So I know initially growing up, your dad was into like sprint cars, and you guys were into racing. Yeah. How did you got? Was your dad? Because you're a big man, obviously. And I know the first question you're gonna get is a big, large, strong man is, is it genetics in your family that you come from a line of large individuals who are strong? Yeah, all my family was was is big. My dad, you know, not a small guy. He was never into you know, like you know, lifting per se, but working in a fab shop, you know, he was always just a big, strong guy moving steel around. Uh, grandfather was a big guy, even though he drove race cars. He was a big guy. Actually, did some bodybuilding years ago when he was younger. Uh, like uh, my uh, my dad has a picture somewhere of, of his mother and her sister in his in his grandfather's overalls. And one standing in each leg when they were teenagers. <laughs> so he, he sounds huge. Yeah, <laughs> big man. Yeah. So just yeah, it just kind of goes back, you know. And then my mom's side, especially where, where the Indian comes from, um, we're just just bigger, you know, tough, strong people. Yeah. And, and so your your grandfather was doing bodybuilding. How did you get into weightlifting? And do you have siblings? I don't. No. Okay. My brothers and sisters. So. Um, Actually, there was there was a guy who was working on my dad's race car that uh, went to a, a local gym that was down in Avondale uh, just to get lose just to lose weight, and get in shape. And it was it was primarily a powerlifting gym, and uh, the guy that owned it, Michael Wynetti, anybody come in to sign any potential, he would try to get them to go to powerlifting. Okay. Uh, so he would work on the race car and you could tell us about it. No one knew anything about powerlifting, you know. Well, anyways, as, as a couple years went on and time I was 15, I won. Oh, your mic went out again. There we go. Hold on one second. Hey, do me a favor and call Bob. Okay. Um, so I ended up going to that same gym. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was called Thorbex, it was an old powerlifting gym. And um, Mainly with the purpose of getting bigger and stronger for football. And uh, well, they went in there on a Monday, and uh, Mike said, uh, hey, I got a power to meet this Saturday. It's Teenage Nationals. You, you want to do it? Another buddy of mine went in with me. He didn't want any interest in it. I said, yeah, sure. What, what, what do I got to do? And I basically got the quick rundown. Let's say squat. Let's say bench. Let's say deadlift. And I trained every day that week. Actually, Friday, he ran me out of there. So, you know, go home. You got to rest for tomorrow. And I did the meet, and it kind of instantly fell in love with it. Uh, that it was, uh, you know, it was an instant with powerlifting, strength, athletics. It was just kind of instantly kind of clicked. So yeah. I did uh, a couple more meets that year in a qualifying for the Junior Olympics the next year. Went to Junior Olympics three times as a teenager, won gold three times, then powerlifting up through my 20s, and then uh, and in 2008 did my first strongman. Now you're okay, so. You, which state are you from? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Because uh, in the South, football is like a religion. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, so did you grow up thinking, I want to be a football player? Are you from like a football family or? No, you know, I, I'm from a racing family. We, we, there was racers. And um, I just, man, I was going to play football. My buddies were playing football in you know, my freshman year. Because I, I was going to play one time when a buddy of mine was playing Pop Warner. And I was too big to get on his team at the time. So I ended up waiting until my freshman year to play, uh, you know, freshman ball. And maybe it was just because my buddies were playing football. 
Yeah. And uh, I was good at it. Um, but um, once I started powerlifting, that was really more of, you know, my focus and what I really wanted to do, you know, because uh, it, was, it was something that was all on me, you know. Yeah, it's, it's you know, well, first off, football is one of the best sports for powerlifters and strongmen to take from because it feels like oh. almost everybody in the southern states at least when i ask what they played first it was football i'm like that's like the best recruiting for powerlifting and strongman we got yeah yeah it really is yeah and, and and when you switched over to powerlifting so did you because your first strongman was around 2008 ish i believe and if you yeah. were 15 because how old are you right now i'll be 40 in december okay so we're around the same age i'm 40 right now as well and um, we're, we were from, I know, an era when I was powerlifting, et cetera, as well. There wasn't no social media. And, and you couldn't find the information wasn't as accessible in terms of like what. what I was going to say that was our go-to, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. You Magazines. Know, were coming up, records, everything. You, powerlifting USA was your thing. You didn't go to Facebook or Instagram or websites. You, you went to Powerlifting USA. And, yeah. and you were looking at stuff that was probably three or four months old, but that was your. Which, which now seems almost like archaic. It, fe it feels oh, like people no like, how old were you that you would read a magazine for results when people get results that day? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you five, right? <laughs> it, it, when you were getting into powerlifting, did you have like like mentors and coaches and learning how to lift? Um, like, how did you make the transition? Because for people now, they don't understand information spread a lot slower back then so the progress like now you see progress like crazy i've seen interviews with you but not just yourself everyone talking about how you know just a couple years ago well we thought the top end deadlifts and lifts were um now just a few years later are, are getting smashers becoming more and more common and people like is it like are people in general getting stronger it's not like we've of like evolutions kicked in in a few years but our knowledge is spread you can't even keep a secret if you wanted to. Whereas back in the day, to get a good training program, coaching, et cetera, the knowledge didn't spread like that. Like people don't understand when you come around your era, when you were getting involved, you just had to hope people were around close to you that knew what they were doing that could guide you. Yeah. And, and it was a lot of like trial and error on your own. You know, right. just trying stuff. Yeah. I mean, when I first started powerlifting, <laughs> I said there were some good powerlifters in the gym that I learned from. And, and I listened to everybody. You know, I just kind of filtered what was good and bad because um, I, I was wanting to learn. You know, so I, I listened to everybody. Like I said, there was no YouTube to go to or, you know, websites or anybody's pages to, to check out. Like, you just listen to everybody in the gym, you know, or when you were at meets. And I did a lot of meets back then and just, just learned, just watching everybody. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, just different than now where, you know, and, and now, the, like I said, the information's so ready, readily available all the time anytime they want something and you know and, and i think they're getting more it's it's tuning this generation where they want it all like right now you know so it so, gets bread from it right <laughs> all, all a good thing i mean in some ways it, it's good because that's why the sports are evolved right because everybody's getting more efficient at the lifts and, and better training and, and and everybody can get that information you know so but uh it's also causing, you know, some of these younger kids, like they want it now. Like right. I tell them, you know, you be patient. It takes years to kind of build the basis to, to, to do these big numbers, you know, um, without Nobody. getting injured right away. I mean, well, I, 
yeah, nobody wants to hear, you know, start off now and in about 10 years, it's like well, 10 years, that's a decade. No, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. I want to do it in four months. Yeah. Right. Uh, when you got involved in powerlifting, was there somebody, because uh, another thing that was a little different it, it's, for powerlifting, yes, not so much for strongman, but because powerlifting wasn't really as big, we didn't have like the, the sports idols you might get in when you first get involved, but certainly strongman did. Strongman was on TV right from the early goings and you had people like Franco Colombo and um, Lou Ferrigno who are legit stars involved, right? And the first yeah. world's strongest man. When you got involved, was there somebody that you look up to that you were like, man, if I could be like that, and you started, when you started competing in powerlifting as strongman? I think Elliot Kazmaier always stood out, you know, being, you know, uh, American, won title three times, you know, and, and Kaz was just that character than an animal, you know, so he was like, yeah, be like that guy, you know, because, you know, and he was just, when, you know, in his prime there, he was just destroying competition, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. He'd go in the last minute. Sometimes we'd have to do the last minute. He's so far ahead. Yeah. Know, some of those guys saw a class. But he, that era, you know. he also, he did some professional wrestling. And he knows how to cut a promo, give a sound yeah. bite. <laughs> yeah. He was charismatic. You know, my teenage years, watching Worlds, you know, when Magnus Burr was, was, you know, winning everything. Magnus was interesting because you can tell he wasn't always the strongest, biggest guy. But. He was very methodical and he was he was really efficient at all events. I think he was probably your first strongman that was that really knew you had to be good at all the events, you know. And that's what, why Magnus was so good because he was so efficient at everything. You know, he was just strong enough to hang with the strong guys, you know, fast enough to outrun them on, on the moving events. You know, he just he had he was a very methodical strongman where he had everything just you know really laid out really well. It is, um, I mean, it's an advantage. Some people don't necessarily even realize where it's like, as long as you're in the top three for all the events and you're collecting your points, yeah. you know, you, you could still win it. You don't have to win all your events. You just collect no. your points, you yeah. know, and, and not fall behind. two events and then tank two, and then you're out of the top five, even though you won a couple of events. Right. You know, you, you got to be consistent on every event. So um, I think he was probably the first we saw that, you know, that did that. John Paul, John Paul did that too. He was he was always up there, um, yeah. but uh, I think you know, especially late nineties when he got really competitive. Even though you know it wasn't near as heavy as it is now, but they were very competitive. That group that that kind of there was going through there, and uh, you know, Magnus just he had them figured out really well. And uh, yeah, it, it is true. Back in the day, if you were three hundred thirty pounds, I mean, that was about an average size. You know, it's a good size guy, 350, whatever. Nowadays, it's way undersized. You, you, yeah. You're 100 pounds below what you need to be. And people are like, I don't know, you're a little too small to, to place, to win, to. And it sounds crazy to say, but yeah. the boys are much bigger. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, um, it is, has the weights, why do you think that the sport has evolved in that facet in terms of, you know, just, are, has it been more the athletes gotten bigger, so then the weights got heavier? Or do you think the it's the event changes because there's less drag and carry, et cetera? And then the Arnold Classic coming around, the Arnold Classic really popularized uh, more heavy events and less of the more athletic events. And, and I mean, a lot of it can be indoors in front of a large crowd, so it was easy visually. And once that blew up and took off, it kind of set the tone, right? But the, yeah. the Putzanowskis of the world are, a thing of the past, kind of. It's like two different eras almost. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's evolved so much from that. I mean, you, you look at, uh, 
Marius, I mean, his top deadlift was like an 880 deadlift on his best day. Yeah. That's the opening weight at the deadlift championships. You know, now we're going after it for reps. It's, it's evolved so much in, in the last 10, five years even, you know, mm-hmm. how much just deadlift has come along, you know, and, uh, and things like log press. I mean, what guys like with Kearney and Stoneman are pushing on log press. I mean, you think back, I mean, they were, they were doing like, you know, 300 log for reps, you know, 10 years ago at Worlds. And then, you know, now, now it's, it's 400 for reps, you know, <laughs> a lot of shows. You know, or the Arnold, it's, you know, we've had 430 on the Austrian Oak. You know, it's, it's evolved so much. Do, do you attribute it to um, a conscious effort to, to switch up some of the events, take out some of the more, you know, athletically inclined events, make them more heavy events, more brute strength, kind of like the Arnold did? Or do you attribute it to, it, may, it might be a mixture of both, but the athletes themselves, the training changing, and then just recruiting people who are just larger human beings just getting involved. So maybe the depth of competition is deeper. What do you, you think? Know, it's really a, a kind of a combination of all that, you know. Plus, as, as you know, like the Arnold kind of really conditioned guys, as it kept getting heavier and heavier, you know, you keep raising those marks, everybody's got to figure out a way to, to, to get there, you know. Like, I mean, you know, in 17, when we did the two heavy yokes with the bail toad, the, the, the second run was 1560, 1565, which, you know, and, and, and you know, if you, if you mention that five, six years before that, people think you're insane. Like, there's no way, you know. And I think three or four of us completed it, you know. So it's just if you set those marks, guys will figure out to, you know, get there, you know. I, I, I brought that up in, you know, like the amateur levels. Where I feel, I think now, right now, there's actually a little bit been a little bit of a lull, and even though there's some still really strong amateurs, but some of the like the pro am shows are a little lighter than they were, say you know in in you know 2009 when when I was kind of doing some of those you know where a, a nine nine fifty yoke was was pretty regular then, and then here the last couple of years you kind of see a little bit of a lull where they've kind of adjusted to what what what's out there for competition, you know, so they may have had like eight, eight fifty go. Um, but the, some of the guys that have rolled out as pros, it kind of puts them behind because the pro level is still going to miss, mm-hmm. you know, and then you, you, you kind of, by lowering the standard of the amateurs, you've kind of held, you know, especially on an American level, you, you've kind of, it kind of held them back because you lowered their standard from what it was maybe 10 years ago, you know, because, as a group, maybe you wouldn't get as much, many competitors. I, mean, I realize they like, do it because you know, they want they want to get as many competitors as a show. It's more money, you know. Like, I get it, it's business. But by by lowering it, you lower the standard because guys, most guys are only going to train to what what that mark is, right? If they only have an 800 yoke at a show, that's what they're going to train to. If you give them a 900 yoke, they're going to train to you know at least the, you know, the guys that are really pushing hard that want to get to the top. They're going to push to that 900 yoke. So you know. I think, even though there's some really there's some good guys right now at the amateur level, there gets there's a few rolled out, but as a whole, I think it's it's down a little bit from what it what it was, what what you know, from what guys were rolling out, and from what like some of the, like the Europeans are rolling out for you know, amateurs that are coming to the pros, they're they're a lot of guys are just stronger, you know, because I don't think they've they've lowered the, the standard for the amateurs over there, you know, it's still you know, progressing like the pro level has. It is, it is interesting how, like, just like other sports where now the amateurs 
it's like a program to nurture and push forward the best pros you can. And it yeah. is, it's, it is a bit of an influx and a, uh, you know, seesaw back and forth between America and Europe, where Europe obviously right now is kind of taking it up. Obviously Iceland is uh, coming out of nowhere in terms of like it, for, for a country with 300,000 people there, which is a small city to have produced a human being to win the world's strongest man as many times as they have is statistically yeah. impossible. It doesn't yeah. make it, it literally statistically impossible, you know, yeah. and, um, and they just keep churning it out uh, year after year. So it, it's, it's, I remember, I mean, you listen to Joe Rogan and whatnot, trying to wrap his head around how something like that can happen. How do you think, how is it possible that a place like Iceland with 300,000 people can keep pumping out e even guys like Benny who haven't necessarily won world's strongest man, but are breaking world records in strength. How is yeah. it even possible that this can happen? I think it's just, it's, it's like just kind of bred into them. It's so much of their history and their culture, you know, that this kind of that strength and toughness and they kind of just strong man kind of falls right in that, you know, so it's just the way they're, they're brought up, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, I don't think they have the skinny chain wearing population <laughs> that we have here. In, in the States, you know, <laughs> you know there's, this is where they're, where they're bred, their culture is, you know, so it's like they're, you know, Strongman, you know, strongman is, is so much different. Uh, like over there, like the UK, you know, it, those are mainstream sport over there. You know, and, and, and strength athletics is just more recognized over there than it is here. You know, if you're big here, you can ask if you play football. Right. You know, you, it's very seldom somebody actually out in, you know, public knows what strongman is. It's, you know, whether you play football or they think you fight UFC, which is, it's, it's, even funnier because when the heavyweight class is like 265 in UFC, but yeah, they, they don't know, you know, yeah. they, think, they think, you know, a guy like Lester is, is huge, you know? So it's just, it's just different over there than it is here really, you know, because it's just strengths more, it's more recognized over there than it's here. I, um, I, I, so I do the commentating for the world championships of powerlifting and um, SBD is one of the bigger sponsors and they were going to hold the Sheffield Classic, and I was asking them, and they're obviously involved in Strongman, um, yeah. and I have con contacts with them because they were going to hire me also for the commentary for, for the powerlifting, their Sheffield event, and they were telling me, yeah, it's, they're like, my friend, because I'm in Canada, so North America, it's kind of the same market as U.S., and they're like, I'm like, how often do you think you'd come to, you know, stateside or, or in Canada, North America for some of these events? They're like, we would never want to do like you would make so much more money holding a strongman right. event in in the UK or Europe. You could fill stadiums over there. Over there, you're you're legit. People are buying tickets. You know, you're making money off consent the whole nine. A whole yeah. other world. But over in the US, there's so many other sports, kind of like you said, where you know you have your football, hockey, basketball, yeah. baseball. There's so many major league sports, let alone the Olympics, that. Um, to try to contend with for people's attention span. Whereas in Europe, you know, I don't know, it's like a history of strength over there for some reason. They value the yeah. strength sports a whole lot more. Yeah, they're low. And even, I mean, the people that, you know, obviously here the people that are in it, you know, it, you know they'll, they'll go and they enjoy it, you know. But over there, it's, it's people that may don't even hardly train, but they just, they love it. You know, yeah. we did the World Delo Championships in 16 and um, in Leeds, there was 11,000 people there. You, know, you couldn't get that here. I mean, yeah. You'd have to tag in with some other event to get that here, you know. And the same thing last summer when we, you know, did Giants Live and the World Delaware Championship in Wembley. 
think they had like 9,000 there. You know, just impact of fans that truly love the sport and 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 know about the sport. You yeah. Know? And it's just no way you would get that here or or you know North Canada. It's you know, we don't have that kind of following here. You know. Before you ever got to that, where you're roughly 10,000 people watching you and know who you are ahead of time, and, and there's, you know, breakdowns and analysis previews that you could see and blog, when you're still doing your powerlifting, getting involved, did you have, did you want to move into strongman initially, or did you think you're going to stay powerlifting? What were your goals initially, and how did you end up transitioning into strongman? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I always watched strongman, was always interested in strongman. I just, there wasn't, it really wasn't that many, like, you know, like I said, when I, when I started, you know, like I said, our information was probably through the safe for fine and stuff. So I just, I just didn't know much about like, what was going on with Strongman and what advances it didn't seem like there was much going on in Arizona back then. And so I just always did powerlifting. And then along with the powerlifting in my 20s, I started driving race cars. So even powerlifting kind of took a little bit of a backseat because I was driving a race car. But, um, then uh, 08, there happened to be a show in town, so like amateur show, I jumped in it, and uh, like instantly, like loved it, you know, more than powerlifting because I've done powerlifting so long. Like, well, this was a new challenge, right. you know. So like, I almost kind of you know, a little bit got bored with powerlifting because it was, it was racing, so you know, it wasn't my main uh, focus at the time. And then so I did the strongman, like I was second my first show, and then I did another one in New Mexico, I was second again. And uh, uh, like I was coming, it was coming down. I would lose on Atlas Stone because I I never touched an Atlas Stone before. Didn't have any, you know. And uh, after the second one, I was like, I think I can do this if I fully put my focus on it. So I parked the race car and just fully, you know, focused on strongman, and it just kind of evolved from there. Like I said, it was 2008, the first pro show in 2010. Went to World Strongest Man the first time in 12 with the Arnold in uh, Columbus in 13 for the first time. And I've been at the Arnold Columbus every year since. So, and, and what then, was your family thinking when you just said, I'm parking the race car and I'm going to be a professional strongman? Like that's not something many kids tell their parents and friends. Like what was their impression? Everybody around you? Uh, I've always been really lucky. Family's always been really supportive. So always been lucky with that. Uh, so yeah, very supportive with it. And, and uh, kind of progressed from there. And and at the time, were you still the same size as you are now? Because we've seen, like, you know, documentaries, Eddie Hall, you know, force feeding, eating as much as possible, getting as large as possible, kind of talked on how size of athletes now, people are absolutely gigantic, and mass moves mass. Um, so Yeah, I know in, in 2008, when I did that first strongman, I was probably about 270, 275. Um, just when I graduated high school, 298, and out of high school, when I, I got to about 310. Um, and then when I was playing football, then I was, well, I just don't need to be this, this big for powerlifting because I was, I was like, I lost weight. So mainly for a lot of years, I powerlifted about two, 275. And then like once I started strongman, well, I, now I need that, that size back, you know, strongman's the land of the giants. So, yeah. so then I just started pushing from there to, to gain. Uh, and, and once you started doing strong man how much of your training changed from powerlifting to using the implements and what kind of a split are we looking at here because powerlifting is great for getting the central nervous system strong but then like you said you got to master the implements because without efficiency that strength isn't going to do you much as much good so oh 
other than I started training, you know, events for whatever competition was coming up. But uh, an old training partner of mine, Patrick Holler, we, we had started doing some strongman implements several years before I actually did a strongman, just to, just to help uh, powerlifting. We were, we were doing farmer's walk, and, and I, it was kind of makeshift yoke. But we were, we were doing some of that stuff, and, and arm over arm sled and cake carries and stuff like that. We were doing that just kind of to, for powerlifting and conditioning anyways. So it wasn't too big of a switch, you know, because we'd already kind of been doing some of that stuff. It was just kind of adding more equipment, you know, building more equipment that, you know, was, you know, suitable for strongman and then just, you know, really focusing more on events as, you know, as, you know, just kept doing shows and that, that was your new set of events to train, you know, just kind of evolved from there. And is the, cause I had um, Half Thor's coach on, Sebastian Oreb, and he was talking about, so obviously Half Thor is, is, is a freak athlete and he's always strong, but he got a powerlifting coach to help him in terms of programming. And you see his training and Sebastian talked on a little bit how, you know, a lot of dead squats, uh, not as much bench, obviously a little more overhead pressing, but to get physically the nervous system strong and then acclimatized towards events, kind of like you were saying, as, as, the, yeah. as the competitions roll around. In your season, um, because at 40 years old, staying injury-free is tough as well. And, and the linear movements are probably a little safer, although the weight you're shifting is far from safe, but it's safer for sure if it's a linear up-and-down movement. How often in, in your year are you off-season, mainly power lifts, and, and uh, not as much implements? And how do you do that balance? Um, so my, my year is pretty much always the, the same, uh, during the week is, is like basic gym movements, powerlifting movements. Then, uh, every Saturday is event day. And, uh, you, usually when, you know, busy with shows, it's, it's training events for the next show. Um, or like now kind of with everything's shut down, I'm just kind of picking up, picking things to kind of work on. And right now I've, I've kind of have a set. Of things that I, for what I, I feel that have benefited benefited me in the past that helped my deadlift. Um, um, those are the events I'm, I'm training right now um, yeah. on my event days, uh, just kind of because deadlift has is, is been a bit of bit of a focus here to maybe take a run at Hofdor's record. Yeah. So uh, that that's the focus right now. But I'm, I'm always always doing the, the strongman movements because and I always I tell like these these kids that are coming up because like. It's strength athletics that the two will build each other. You know, the static strength, you know, from powerlifting is, is, is a big carryover to strongman, and the dynamic movements you do in strongman are a big carryover to the platform. So, you see, get guys like, you know, powerlifters, like they just want to powerlift, they don't want to do strongman movements. You get strongmen that don't want to do powerlifting because, you know, they don't want to be held to any kind of standard on deadlift or, you know, right. uh, but the, the two will build each other. You know, um, I think guys that have come from powerlifting have much stronger deadlifts than some of these these deadlifts you see that, that just do strongman they kind of build a ramp into their deadlift and it kind of they never their top ends never the same you know because they, they kind of once they learn those bad habits that a lot of strongmen seem to build you know it, it it's it's hard to get those out so. it, it i know you mean where sometimes you almost shy away from what you're not great at like if you're a good strongman yeah. But you're not great on the three big lifts, probably not so much bench, but squat, dead. You yeah. might shy away a little bit from doing a lot of dead, showing people you're dead, because you're like, it's not going to live up to your expectations. I'm not yeah. going to post it. Don't ask me. But it's yeah. like, 
my friend, you almost got to humble yourself. And then vice versa, where a, a powerlifting guy, a guy with a powerlifting background comes in, and it's like, I get it. You got a great squat, a great dead, and you're super strong. And if we just compare that, you're, you, you might beat a lot of guys, but you have to use these implements that you suck on that you're like, oh, fuck, I'm not getting it. So, well, yeah. you, you have to, though. I get it. It's going to be embarrassing. It's almost like you have to humble yourself and meet the middle ground. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Yeah. It, it, do, you, do you feel like, like you're saying some of the technical aspects that some of the strong men might mess up with the deadlift, like what we, fought, what we see in powerlifting is a lot of times, especially with the super heavyweights, they squat more than they deadlift because dynamically speaking, um, the larger the human being you are, just pop the weight on my back. It's easier for me to lower with a shitload of weight on my back as opposed to reaching down, grabbing weight. Has to be conventional. So you're, you're so big and boxy, you can't reach through the legs, got to be outside the legs. It's, it's very difficult for some people to, to get that and get the most leverage out of it. Um, how do you find like some of these bad habits are some of the, the strong men? Cause we've had strong men, obviously like Robert Overstone, the Joe Rogan show was saying like, it's very difficult for us to, to pop, to uh, do deadlifts. I would even say don't do deadlifts unless you're training for events specifically for deadlifts. Some people got upset at that, but I think in context, what he's saying is look at we're 400 pound men and dynamically speaking, this is difficult for us. Like it's, that's why powerlifting guys squat more than they deadlift. Um, what do you think are some of the things that you've done to, to mitigate those issues and, and why you've taken off or some guys, they have so much issues doing the deadlift? Well, you know, some guys like, you know, typically a guy that's, that's, that's really good squatter that, that has, you know, the good leverages for squat typically isn't a great deadlifter just because he's probably got short arms and just, you know, not, not to pick on Blaine, but Blaine Summer, phenomenal powerlifter, squatter, bencher but his deadlift is way behind, you know, if you just look at his, his build, it's, it's just, his leverages just aren't great for deadlifts, you know, very strong guy, huge squatter, you know, and his leverages are perfect for squat, but they don't carry over well for deadlift, you know, and, and you, you've always seen that in powerlifting, I mean, it's nothing new, you know, he's, he's always seen guys that will, that'll have a hundred pound spread on their, between their squat and dead, you know, just because the, the leverages aren't, you know, better for squat than they are deadlift. Then you, then you get the other way sometimes for guys that, you know, have great deadlifts, but their leverages aren't, you know, they got really long legs and torso, or, you know, and they're not great for, for squat, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you get some of that just on, on just body mechanics and the build, you know. Uh, and then you get, like, some guys, I think, just don't want, don't like deadlift. They don't like to, you know, you know, strain through deadlift. I think that's why, Delicate has evolved so much. I think more as a whole, more people are putting more focus on deadlift. Deadlift seems to be more of a, a hot topic nowadays than it used to be. You know, I think I know a lot of old powerlifters years ago that hardly would train deadlift. They didn't like it. They would they trained the hell out of squat and bench and everything. And they would deadlift, you know, you know, maybe every few weeks. They just didn't like it, you know. And just kind of they would just do enough to kind of help their total. You know, it really wasn't their focus. You know, like they would have huge SWAT days, but they wouldn't have really a deadlift day. And I think now it's just, you know, that's why some of it's evolved because there's been more focus put on deadlift and, and cleaning up bad techniques and, and you know, getting more efficient on it. Do you think, I 100% I, I agree. I feel like, um, like in terms of a single feat of strength, if we're just talking 
show me how strong this human being is. Let's see who's stronger, not necessarily strength with athletic, like Olympic lifting or drag and carry, et cetera, or loading, but just how much can you lift? The most purest, a squat, you have to unrack this weight. Um, a lot of the weight, a lot of events you have to unrack. A deadlift is literally just weight on the floor. Can you move it? It's the, the formula for power is uh, mass by acceleration over distance. That is exactly what a deadlift is with no other variable. It's, it's so yeah. pure and clean. Um, and the popularization, so in terms of that, I think the public can really get behind that and understand and the weightage can be really big. In the turnaround, and, and maybe, maybe it's different for you, but I noticed at least when I was at work one day and when um, Eddie Hall broke the world record, I believe the first time he had broken it with Arnold Schwarzenegger beside him yelling up, up, up. Yep. And he had his thumb up like this and he's in shot with Eddie, which helps because if you don't know who Eddie Hall is in terms of the mainstream, you damn well knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. The guy's literally got statues and events in his likeness like he's a, a modern day Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. He's um, so that went viral. And I had people at my work who didn't follow strength sports, they just knew I did coming to be coming to me being like, Holy shit, did you see that video? That was insane. And they could wrap their head around it. Yeah. And then obviously the world championships for deadlift came around. And Eddie, we needed Eddie Hall to do a big showing, live up, be charismatic like Eddie Hall can doing the interview while holding the weight, and, you know, the the breaking the world record, et cetera. And on that really, to use a, a wrestling term, put over the, the deadlift event and the world championships for deadlift. If that yeah. didn't happen, it wouldn't quite have been. All eyes were on Eddie. He did it. And, um, and now not only did the deadlift get a lot more popularized with the mainstream and strength, strength sports, but the world championships for deadlift, a lot of yeah. people were tuning in for that. And then yeah. afterwards. Well, if you figure of the, of the three lifts, I mean, it's the best spectator lift to watch, yeah. you know, because a guy can walk out there by himself, pull the weight, you know, or squat and bench. He's got to be surrounded by squatters just, just to keep him, you know, safe, you know. I mean, like, you know, Maddox bench here last week, huge, you know. I mean, even though they had the, the misload or whatever, but I mean, even the 722, huge. Right. But he's got to have all those guys around in case something happens, you know, which spectator-wise, it's very hard to watch, you know, the, 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 the actual lift, you know, same thing for squat, you know, you got all these guys surrounded, especially if he's in a model lift, so you got that blocking, you know, there's are very difficult events to watch, you know, mm -hmm. where a deadlift guy walks out there by himself on the platform, and you watch him pick it up, he looks around, and yells, and, and sets it down, you know, so just, I think for a crowd of people that are really into watching, you know, enjoy watching the sport, it's just, it's a, it's a better uh, event to watch. And you, know, also, and that, you know, the other ones are, you know, just as impressive, but they're just, they're hard to, you know, it's hard to kind of get a, a view in of, of a bar barely touching the chest, you know, with six guys standing around it, you know, it's just, you know, the nature of the, the, the lift compared to the, the other two. And also, um, in terms of nature lift, you could grind and have an amazing scrap with a deadlift, blood coming out of the nose, stuck yeah. at the knees. Oh my God, it keeps going. Uh, yeah. It can be wildly entertaining with yeah. a deadlift. Yeah. And, and you're not going to get that with a bench press. No. It's usually going to happen or it's not. Yeah. Right, right. And then six guys are going to catch it and re-rack. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So was deadlift always the one that you leaned towards? Was that always or did it become? It, you know, just, just, just right from the first meet I, I did, it was just always my better, you know. I think the very first meet, I think I squatted 
a 15, I squatted 240, and I deadlifted 380. It's just my deadlift was always just better, you know. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, you know, my build leverage is 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 good for deadlift. And then I grew up in my old man's fab shop, just moving steel around, you know. So back was was always strong, you know. For when you know, so I think it just it just fit. But it's always been way ahead of everything else, just from the right from the get. And since when you started Strongman, deadlift wasn't one of like the deadlift event has become more and more popularized. The world's strongest man, obviously, uh, or the, you got the world championships for deadlift, and it's become more and more popular with the race for breaking these records. There's a lot yeah. of strongman records, obviously, and a lot of events, but people in the mainstream follow who is the most recent record holder for the deadlift in terms of strongman. And in terms of the records, it's probably the most popularized record in strongman now because it carries through not just within strongman, but powerlifters can get behind that, wrap their head around that and be like, I got you. Yeah. And then the mainstream. Now, I mean, I swear I got people who don't follow strength sports at all, but they know who Half Thor is. They know who Eddie Hall is. They know if someone's going to break a record, it's going to go about and, and they're going to figure it out. When you first started, that wasn't necessarily the case when you were in no. Strongman. As it started becoming more and more a prominent um, event and more and more, held in more and more higher esteem, were you telling yourself, knowing that this was probably your sharpest weapon, to bring to battle, you were like, oh, okay. I think I, <laughs> I see where this is going. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it just, it just fit. You know, my deadlift was always, you know, my better event. And then it's just evolved even more over the years. And then uh, it's kind of was in that, you know, wave when it, everything kind of really jumped, you know, when we, you know, did the elephant bar at the, the Arnold. Uh, I pulled a thousand six, maybe the first American to pull over a thousand pounds. At the time, you know, it was just kind of was in that kind of that wave when when it everything when it seemed like it does really jumped where a few was kind of you know it jumped into thousands. Where at the time before that, Andy Bolton and I think Benny were the only ones that had pulled you know broke a thousand, mm -hmm. you know, and then then Eddie did it and then I did it and Shaw did it that after me and then then a few of us jumped in there you know then a year or two later and then Crone did it and it's it's you know it just keeps evolving you know. It, do, when when you're training this, um, because your your guys set up, it, it's you can't really go to too many coaches because they won't understand. For instance, if if somebody who's 220 pounds is a big fan of strongman and he tries to mimic your guy's setup, that's not going to work for his body frame. It's so different. Vice versa, you can't have a dude who's used to training normal sized men in powerlifting and be like, you know. You know, Jerry, you, you could probably get a lot out of your deadlift if you bring your feet in a little more. You, you got the, you know, obviously the almost signature now wide stance. And yeah. it's like, my friend, we're not built, we're not the same, we're almost not the same species. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's still what, I mean, there's probably still more men that have walked on the moon that have picked up over a thousand pounds. That's a nice stat. I like, I like that <laughs> quote. <laughs> True. So, I mean, it's, it's a very elite group that have, you know, deadlift over a thousand plus. And, and um, you can basically only go to get advice from people who are like around the same frame in the same dynamics yeah. they're dealing with because it's, yeah, it's, it's not the same for everybody. It's a different realm. Yeah, yeah. mechanically speaking. Um, and someone is chasing the 800 pound deadlift. It's a different realm in those, right. in those big weights. I mean, the bars react different. I mean, everything's different about it. You know, mm. I mean, everything changes. I mean, the, the, the you know, the, the bars, like whether it's a regular deadlift bar or the elephant bar, you know, there's like stages on how they react at 800 pounds, 900 pounds, 
upper nines, over 10. They just, it's just, it's just a different realm, the way that, you know, the weights are so big. Going into the 2019 World Championships for deadlift, um, what was your expectations? Did you think you, like, leading in, were you thinking, like, if I could be, you know, were you thinking you're going to win it? Who would you think was your, your biggest opposition? And how was training going into the 19, 2019 Worlds? Um, training was really well. I, I pulled 1,000 pounds in training, which was actually the heaviest I'd ever pulled in training before a competition. So I, I felt really good going into it. It was just um, day of, you know, just you're kind of at the mercy of kind of how things lay out. And, um, you know, we, we, were, we were told we were going to start at a certain time, and warmed up, ready for that time, and we kind of got pushed back a half hour because they're waiting for, you know, the crowd to get in because there was another event going at one of the arenas. So, right, you know, you just kind of you miss that kind of mark a little bit on, you know, on the on a warm up. So, I ended up taking a couple extra attempts going up that I didn't plan on. Uh, so, after the thousand three, uh, it was a pretty quick back out for the, the ten thirty one, and I, I was I was really just gassed. I remember walking out going. <laughs> Um, so uh, I, I think I at least would have pulled the 1031 that day, but I was really I was just gassed because I had pulled so many attempts going up, and then basically followed you know um, right back out after the the 1003 for that 1031. Actually, I was just just really gassed, you know. Which for a top deadlift, you can't be, you got to be, you know, everything's got to be set up right. For, when you were in there, so did you think ahead of time that you had a shot at winning the world championships? What was your, how confident were you? Yeah, I felt good. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't honestly think that I was, I was ready for the go at the record, but I, I felt that I was, I was tailored somewhere between 1,030 a, a to 1,050 going mm -hmm. into it. Because like I said, I pulled 1,000 in training pretty well, and, and mm -hmm. that's the most I pulled in training. So, like, it's just the way the day played out, it just wasn't in the cards that day. And obviously, um, Hindla, he he's probably feeling the same because he skipped one of his lifts, uh, one yeah. of the weights to go out. And I understand it's it's one of these. <laughs> I mean, you can have a little more energy in the tank if you do that. On the flip side, you're kind of going all all in or nothing on the next weight. Uh, yeah. If you're confident, you're going to hit the next weight, great. And then the bar feels a little heavier because you're not slowly ramping it up. And sometimes you do a bigger jump than usual, and you're like, wow, shit, that was a little heavier. It felt a little heavier, anyways. I, I would have normally took something in the middle. Looking back, do you think, yeah, because there's always strategy involved in this, do you think you tell yourself, look at shit, because you, you, you hit your 455 kilo nice and smooth, and if you asked me to bet money, I would have said he's got 467 and a half on the next go. Um, and then obviously the, the gas tank was running low because it was, it was yeah. a long day, long warm-up. Would you, looking back, have also done what Hinlet did and skipped one of the weights earlier, bought yourself a little more time, bought yourself a little more energy, and done that, or do you think you know what? It's not worth that risk. Um, yeah, that was the plan going in it. Um, I, I, I hadn't planned on hitting the, all the attempts that I did, but with you know that gap in being warm and then kind of almost kind of cooling down and trying to warm up again from when we started, I just kind of read my body. I felt like I needed the extra pull, you know, because mm. I just it didn't I didn't feel ready yet, and then. Mm. Sometimes by doing that, you, you kind of waste an attempt, you know, which I ended up doing that day. And then, you know, plus, you know, when you get into those those top numbers, guys start, they're dropping out, you know. So by 
the end, it, it's it's just Rano and I, you know. So we're following each other out. So you you, you get gas facts, you know. Yeah. Especially when you know you got a big arena show that's not trying to have people sitting for you know 15 minutes with nothing going on, you know. So um, it, it, you know just just the way it played out, you know. It's just kind of mercy or sometimes at a show it's you know how warm-ups kind of play out you know i did i did you know in in, in dubai i kind of had similar things so if i got kind of rushed through we, we had rushed through warm-ups and uh we like pulled probably green warming up at you know around from my 700 to my opener at 880 probably we've done all those attempts within probably 10 minutes in in the heat of dubai wow so time i went out for the next attempt at 920 I'm already kind of gassed, you know, because yeah. I'm not recording fast enough because of the heat and strain my back a little bit on 920, which shouldn't happen. You know, I, I pull it regularly every Monday. Um, so it's just, it's just the way shows play out sometimes, you know, uh, on, on warm-ups. You know, you, you try to have the best plan going into it. Sometimes that goes out the window when, you know, you, you get into, you know, warming up at a show, you know. Uh, it's not always the best uh, situation for warm-ups you know which which we really need for stop numbers it's kind of getting promoters to understand that you know right you now it gives promoters you know now that they you know they, you, you, they know what you pull a thousand pounds or you pull big numbers right they kind of think you can just pull it on a, on a whim you know but it, it takes a proper you know prep to get there you know mm -hmm. uh, another thing that like <clears throat> how do you feel about the fact that look at it's it's the world championships for the deadlift and not many world. I mean, not many world championships. Do you have co-champions. How do you feel about having at the top end, some kind of a tie breaking deciding factor, or if it comes down to two guys, now you pick your next weight or something like that. I love powerlifting where it's like, we've whittled it down to two. Let's, let's, let's whittle it down to one. Let's have, yeah. let, there can only be one. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? Because it does obviously lead into future events, and now there's a bit of a sporting rivalry, which is amazing for sports, you know. Yeah. But, but what were, what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, it'd be nice to have a you know a tiebreaker, but um, really my tiebreaker I should have pulled the ten thirty one, you know. So well, yeah. Um, and, and going into it, I, that's where I felt where I, I was at. I feel, you know I figured I was at least a ten thirty to ten fifty range, so. You know, going from a thousand to that, then you know, but just need more time, you know, to kind of be ready for it. Right. So, it, all these years, you still get nervous before some of these big events, like a, like, a, like the world's deads. Does that mean? And also, uh, you ended up being second in a day. But going into that, was it more special? Were you? Do you tell yourself, you know what? I, I want to do well the overall day as well, but. If it's the world championships for deadlift and everything that's kind of being built around the deadlift event now and winning world titles and breaking records, do you start telling yourself, like, if I can have a, an amazing show, if I become a world champion in deadlift, it's not as big what happens the overall day. Do you start prioritizing goals like that now? No, I, I still don't have the whole day in mind, you know, because uh, to me, it, I mean, it, it, I'm still there for the whole show. And I, I want to do well in the whole show. Um, so, uh, I mean, I was Want to win the deadlift, but I was want to be in the top three or win the whole show as well. So, yeah, um, and and nerves. I, I never get nervous with these things. I I, I look forward to them. I, I why I you know love to train and, and is to compete. 
you know, so mm -hmm. I, I, I get amped for a show. So, uh, do, do you realize, like do you realize there's 10,000 people watching you when you go out there to deadlift and there's that many people in the arena does, cause most, most strength athletes will never feel that, you know, a thousand yeah, people feels like a lot. The, the boost you get from having the, that, the energy of that many people there is, is, is huge. You can't, you can't replicate it with anything else, you know, have that many people there on their feet screaming when, you know, top lift, you know, I, I can remember at the Delta championship in 16, we are even, you know, last year we pulled the thousand three times you pull a big lift in front of a crowd like that, you know, or the 1031 at the Arnold in 17, you know, as that bar keeps rising, you can just, the roar of the crowd just grows with as the weight comes up, you know, there's, there's, there's no thrill ride or drug that can give you that same rush that, that you get from that, you know, so that, that, that's why I bust my ass every, every week to, to replicate those, those moments, you know. And when it starts dwindling down from a pack to, to four guys, to three guys, and now there's only you and one other guy, and it's like, oh, shit, yeah. this is it. This yeah. is the stuff yeah. movies are made of, right? This is why yeah. we do what we do. That's when it gets serious. And yeah. But, yeah. What, looking back, of all the events you've done, you've done the World's Strongest Man, Arnold's um, World Championship for Deadlift. What is probably the biggest standout moment for you? A, what is the first moment that you actually were like, holy shit, I've arrived? And it, I don't mean necessarily your proudest moment, but the moment where you were like, I am not powerlifting in front of 100 people now, just friends and family. There's a packed stadium, and it actually hits you like, holy, holy shit, I'm one of those guys. And then what was a moment where you're like, that was my key moment. If I'm going to hang my hat on a moment, someone says I'm most proud of, that was it. Uh, I think that, you know, like in 2013, a Britain's Strongest Man, going going battling with with uh, laws back and forth. We we both pulled the 953 that day. Um, he he ended up getting me on out of stones. I ended up second that day, but it was it was a packed soccer stadium there in uh, Leeds. You know, I think that that was the first show that was a really big show with that kind of crowd. You know, it was right before World's Strongest Man that year, and uh, that that was. Probably that was the first time because I had done a giant slide the year before in Poland, which we, we had a good, good crowd there as well, but nothing like the UK crowd. That was the first time there. And um, um, I tell anybody strong, man, if, if you get a chance to compete, <laughs> anywhere, you go get a, do a show in the UK because the, really the, the fans there are, are really great to compete in front of because they love the sport so much. You know, yeah. you, can, you can feel the energy from the crowd at those shows. Um, so that one probably for the first show that, you know, for, you know, for something big, you know, and then uh, still 17 Arnold um, pulling at 10:31 that day, which it really shouldn't have happened that day. You know, it was on it was on day two. We had a really heavy day one. You know, with the heavy yoke up to the 15:60, we had 11:40 frame going into Saturday. Hamstrings are really tight, beat up from the day before back, and warming up. Didn't feel great, you know. Hamstrings. I mean, it felt like I'm gonna pull a hamstring every pull. Open to 921 was, was okay. Hamstrings were really tight, slow. Went like 961, I think. Same thing. Told my training partner was there at the time, Eric. I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe let's go safe. Was pulling was like 985, 86. And uh, so Shaw, he jumped me. He went like 89. So he actually won the deadlift portion because we got three lifts at the Arnold. But when I pulled the 86, 
hamstrings open up and everything's so good. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, yeah. I, 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 I walked over to you, I'm like, you wasted it. Like I, now I feel good, you know. <laughs> yeah, where did that I come feel, from? Just yeah, when you needed it. Lift, now I feel good, like, you know. Yeah. And that's when uh, Jan Todd walked over and, and says, you know, to, you know, me and Josh, you guys want to take a shot at the record? I'm like, yeah, I feel good now. Let's go. And yeah. then 1031 shot up. You know, and it shouldn't happen that day. If you, if you looked at it on paper from what I did the day before and everything, it, it should not happen that day. It was just, you know, just one, one of those days. Isn't it beautiful when, when things like that happen where you're like, man, I beat up, it's not there, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, the bar starts moving, you're like, holy shit, this yeah. is going to happen. Okay. Yeah, that's why when I pulled the, the 986, it was like, Wow, that was easy. Now, now I feel good. Now I feel like I can pull anything. But if you'd asked me after the nine twenty one, my opener, like, no way. Like, I, I didn't know if I was gonna get much more than that that day, honestly. You know, just the way it was. What do you think it is? Is it just that internal belief? All of a sudden, the adrenaline comes in, or you know, because yeah, that you know, and I don't know. I I I swear, my my body sometimes is like a workhorse. Like sometimes the more I kind of just do, you know, like when I did the the deadlift with Ranu, you know, last week. We did the 880, um, didn't go as quite well I had hoped. So all the guys were gonna deadlift afterwards. So I took the suit off, worn back up with the guys, and pulled 920 after that. Yeah, that was insane. I couldn't believe you did that. Late. I worked up with him and I pulled the uh, nine or uh, 785 on the snatch grip, you know? Yeah. So sometimes your body just kind of gets in that kind of like that workhorse mode and just, just things just keep getting better, you know, even though you should be beat up and it should, you know. It's, yeah, Body's got reserves. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that with, with him. Because um, I had messaged you. It's a little, so a stitch disappointing in that. Look at it. It was on ESPN and there's no other sports. So I'm sure a lot of people are watching. It's the yeah. perfect moment for strength sports when there's nothing else. And people are like, I need some sports right now. You know, guys yeah. in sports, um, they're going to tune in. And something everyone's messaging when I repost on King of Lifts and people are like, um, one gentleman is using bumpers, the other one's using calibrated. And for anyone who does any kind of strength sports, like maybe the average mainstream guy watching ESPN for some any old sports might not know. Um, but for people who, who know, like there's a reason why the elephant bar is the elephant bar. The further away the weight is from you, it's going to be a little easier. The poundage is going to go up. And, um, and obviously the, when it's bumpers or calibrated plates, there's a big difference. The weight gets closer and closer to the guy who has to lift it. Yeah. And when you're watching it, you were like, you had it locked out, which would have been, again, a tie. I, I you know, it would have been, again, a tie. But, shit, man, it was right there. And then afterwards, I was like, kind of weird that they would organize it but not have the same equipment for two guys going head-to-head. -head. It looked, that's a little weird. And I was like, did you, did, did they tell you he's going to use bumpers? Like, was this not a conversation? Um, but let, let's talk about that a bit because it's a stitch disappointing. It's disappointing for me to see it. I can only imagine how you might have felt when you find out after the fact. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Um, I, I, well, there wasn't a discussion on what he was going to use, what I was going to use. Um, uh, originally, I think in the rules, you know, I, I think they they wanted calibrated set. Um, you know, I, I think he was probably at the mercy of what he had available to him. You know. Um, I was very fortunate that Rogue sponsored me a calibrated set uh, in a new bar for the, for the, the event. Uh, so, I mean, it is what it is. You know, it, it's, yeah. 
you know, it, it, you know, we, we tried to make the best of what we had, you know, and, and I think that's probably just what he had, you know. Um, I, I should have had more reps, you know. The fifth one well, was going to happen. It just when it when it hit my legs, it, it caught just enough of a whip where it opened my back up. Yeah, mm. I should have been able to just kind of bang it through. And when it when it did that, it was stuck. And then time I sit there for a second, pull it on, and go down. Well, then by then I'm I'm out of air. <laughs> you know, I'm done. Right. Um, so I it really should at least had the tie at five, but um, uh, more than anything, if, if I was going to change anything, I'd like to just have a little more time. You know, I, I typically don't push a lot of reps in, in my deadlift, so it's kind of been a little bit of a change, which I think has been a good change, but um, I probably could have used a few more weeks. You know, if we could do this maybe in July, probably, you know, maybe do a different result. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I would say we're getting better each week, but I think I still need probably a little more time. I, I really think probably seven was, was is doable with the, with the right you know training prep for that. Like I said, and it, it had been getting better, just wasn't quite there yet, you know. But should at least have that fifth one on, on day of if, if when it caught that whip. Having said that, let's say you guys do this all over again. Are you using bumpers or calibrating? We, we do it for a max, and instead of rest. oh, well, there we go. Okay, so. Yeah, let's talk about that then, because the World Championship match of uh, the Delaware Championship last year, we go for a max. There we go. So how how are they? Is it going to be set up again in September, where it's just going to be everyone levels up, and then um, if you hit the weight, you don't. But it won't be just a true max ella powerlifting though. Like, is there no tie breaking feature? Because last year we didn't have an inclusive winner, and now we have a bit of a sporting rivalry. The ESPN show. Again, a little bit. We didn't really get two guys, two different. Two, look, at if I, you're being a good sportsman about it, and I appreciate that. But if I tell you you're allowed to use calibrated or bumpers next time, he's using bumpers, you'd be crazy to be like, I'll go calibrated again. It'd be like, Jerry, come on, man, use bumpers, please. <laughs> you know, so I think even as fans, we're like, we want a conclusion. We don't want co-champions again. This can't go on forever, right? <laughs> yeah, we got to break the tie. Yeah. Uh, do you, what do you, do, are they going to have any kind of, t- have you heard any talk of any kind of tie breaking going to happen at the world championships or deadlift, or is it going to be the same as previous? I, I, haven't, I haven't heard anything about, about the deadlift championships really. So I, I don't know what, what the layout's going to look like. Mm. Are you, you got to be hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the plan is I'm going to, uh, you know, you're going to be the sole champion. There's been some other deadlifters that are starting to emerge. Uh, I had Paimon from uh, Iran. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I had him on the podcast before. And a couple years ago, got an interpreter, and he was – a few years ago, he had said, look it, I get it. Me, what I'm saying right now, you guys aren't going to believe me, but he's like, in a few years, I'm, I'm making a run for the, work, for, for the records. And um, we're like, what records are we talking? Are we talking, he was Asia's strongest man. Asian records, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Iranian records. He's like, no, my friend, the world records. At the time, we're like, look, the guy's very charismatic. They had like earthquakes in Iran and he shows up with a truckload of supplies and people are rushing from villages. Buildings were crumbled and he's throwing supplies out and it's like Superman arrives. The guy pulls planes, flip cars. They love him over there. So yeah. great guy. So you want to be like, I believe you, but at the same time, like, shit, man, that's a big ask. You know what the weights are. Fast forward to 2020, my man is pulling 471 kilo in, in the gym. Looked pretty good. Looked pretty solid. Now guys like Eddie Hall are commenting like, 
okay, you, you, it's, it, you're within shot. People are starting to level up. Um, yeah. What do you anticipate? Who are you looking around at as possible competition in terms of the world championships or deadlift or just even the record? And is the record, how close do you feel the record is within reach for yourself? Um, I, I think the right training run, it's, 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 it's doable. Um, I need uh, some more body weight back on because you need the leverage. It's, it's such a huge lift, you need the leverage for it. Um, so if I, can, if I can push the body weight back on that, that I had in 16, or maybe even a little more, um, it, it's, it's, it's definitely within reach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, do, do you think that there's more people going to be like taking stabs at this 500 kilo? Uh, there's a couple of out there making noise that um, that they they have a shot at it or you know think they're in the realm um, yeah. uh, see, see what they do day up fair enough and look, one question i always ask people when i have them on the podcast when all is said and done and um and you look back you're 65 years old how do you want to be remembered in your career um well for the records that i've, I've broke and maybe hopefully records I still have. And what are some of those records? If I put you on the spot, what are some titles and records that you want though? Um definitely deadlift. Um taking down this this going after this eleven hundred. Um uh here in this after December, I'll take down that master's deadlift record. Um uh, be the first master to pull over a thousand pounds the same. So um I, I want to still set some records that'll be there for a long time. And do you feel like um, approaching 40, do you have a couple records that you hit? And after that, you say, now I'll bow out. Now I'll, I'll step away and leave it at that. When do you think is going to be your time? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that anytime soon. You know, uh, I, I maybe I guess sometime that'll probably come in, you know, but um, there's, no, there's no way I can be satisfied walking away anytime soon. Yeah. Make hay by the sunshines, my friend. Listen. I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on, answering the questions. Much appreciated. Uh, good luck, man. We're all going to be watching. And hey, 2020, there can only be one. There can only yep. be one. <laughs> Have a good one, man. Thank you. See you later. It.